Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello there and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. What do the River Mill, Clark's by the Bay, Clark's on King, Aquaterra, and the Bayview Farm Restaurant have in common? Clark Day, and he is our guest in this episode. Clark, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. You have spent some 35 years operating, consulting with various restaurants around town. But what I'd like to do is go back to the beginning and how you got this passion for food and cooking. Where did it all start? Well, that's kind of an interesting statement because I think, it, I think you build on everything. I mean, I grew up in Germany and Switzerland, and I remember Sundays we'd be, uh, could be in any country. We lived in uh, Germany for five years and Switzerland for two. And we could be in France, we could be in Austria, we could be in Italy, and then we'd go for a Sunday drive and have a, have a meal. So that was a really fond memory. And I know that even from a young child, I was pretty picky. And uh, I used to drive my parents crazy, but um, I guess it evolved into something worthwhile. How did it go from food to cooking? Years ago, I uh, ended up in Edmonton. And I was on the floor working as a server. I worked for Alberta Government Health at the same time and was working part-time um, as a server at this restaurant. It was the best restaurant in the city at the time. And, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, all the oilers, all the oil people, that type of thing, tableside service, a big grand piano, tuxedos, the whole schmeal. And I uh, worked there and I just really, really enjoyed it. The passion, you know, you're, we're talking about if something was wrong, I would fix it. And the owner, uh, manager at the time, he and I got to know each other quite well. And when he was building another restaurant, he recommended to his partners that I take over as general manager. Now you have to remember in 82, this restaurant was doing two and a half a million dollars. So it wasn't just a little you know, small restaurant. So it was quite a jump from part-time server to general manager. And I had 80, 80 staff. And I realized that if I didn't know the kitchen as well as I knew the floor, that I would be held ransom. And so I got involved and I worked with Italian, French, Swiss, German, all kinds of different chefs and saw different styles. And again, I'm, I learned through watching. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked out well that way. And I do have, the one thing I do have is, is my taste buds go right to my brain. So And stay I, there. I'm still there. So I can put things together in my head, which is one of those nice things. I mean, you either seem to be able to do it or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, it evolved from that, and then you know, one restaurant after another, it just kept evolving. Any formal training as a chef? No, no. You just and I actually don't even look for that when I hire chefs. Um, a lot of chefs that have had formal training sometimes get blinded. You know, they they put blinders on them that you can do this, you can't do that. I look for people that are passionate about what they do and have, a, have the ability to put together food. Just do it. I mean, everybody gets so terrified. We, you know, we were talking earlier about the Food Channel, etc. And that's one problem I have is the Food Channel scares people. Well, I can't do that. Well, play around with food. Try things. Try spices. Try. I mean, it's not like you're rebuilding the carburetor of a Mercedes Benz. You know, if you if it doesn't go right, then it's ten or fifteen dollars. But you've learned something, mm-hmm. and in your brain, you've decided that okay, coriander and 
you know, um, strawberry jam don't work. Actually, they probably would work, but, you know. There must be a way. All those things that just, you know, you sort of are able to sort of identify over the time. And uh, a lot of mistakes I've made have turned out to be good mistakes. Mm -hmm. I've learned something from it or created a new dish because of it. I have a real problem with recipes, too, to, to be quite honest. Because a lot of people will go, okay, I need an avocado, I need this, I need that. And they go shopping and it's not avocado season and all they can find are little rocks. I'd much prefer people go to the store and go, oh, look at that roast, you know, look at that pork loin. Look at those tomatoes. Look at that avocado. Look, look at the bok choy. Look at the, you know, whatever. And sort of say, now I'm going to make something with all these great ingredients. Mm-hmm. So you mix and match when you're in the store. Exactly. While we are on the Food Network, one final question on that part of your life. Uh, the business of the various programs that are available, do you have a favorite? I always love the, the ones where um, you, go to, you go to a country and you're involved in the country and in the geography and in the history and in the food. Like Anthony the, Bourdain. Yeah, show. Anthony Bourdain yeah. was a great example. and. Uh, Dolce Vita, the uh, forget what his name was, but he, you know, he'll go to Italy and he'll be cooking on the side of the road. Or, but you'll you'll be experiencing the country and actually the culture that goes with that food, rather than just somebody pulling peanut butter and chicken thighs and you know mar- baby marshmallows out of the cupboard. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, when you were talking about going to different countries, it brings to mind a trip that we took in the fall to Central America. And I am trying to remember what country it was, and I can't, but it's uh, one of the countries in Central America, and we were taking a bus ride from the ship to a particular destination, but we were going down a long country road. And there were lots of little food stands that people had put up just outside their houses. And to get people to stop and sample, they would, during the night, they would put bumps in the road so that the buses would have to slow down and stop. And maybe that would force them to actually stop and and get people on the bus to sample the food that was being created right then and there, which I thought was kind of cool. I think I think that's uh, it's amazing, you know. And this is it. People, people are very good at trying to sort of make an income for themselves and their families mm-hmm. and especially in, in Central America mm-hmm. so uh, did you were you able to stop and uh not, not on the road. We stopped at various places that were planned as part of the trip, but uh, I was just interested in watching these little stands along the way that people had set up. Well, this is some of the, 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 the programs, the food programs, though, that are all about you know street food. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. To see what people put together. Exactly. Let's come back to Kingston, talk about the restaurants that you have been affiliated with here in town over the years. Interested to know what you liked about a particular restaurant. So let's start with the River Mill. Well, the River Mill, of course, was the the start of it all. You know, so it's, it has a special part in your in your heart. Um, we opened up down there in '85, and uh, that was when the River Mill was just actually starting. The Woolen Mill was actually starting mm-hmm. to be pulled together. A couple of fellows from Ottawa, Wilf Eagle, was the fellow I was dealing with. A great guy. He was, you know, so many businesses got incubated there. You mm-hmm. know? And I remember the space that the River Mill is now was a bakery. And uh, that was the space I wanted because, you know, the view and, and everything else that went along with it. And uh, I, I offered dinner to Will Fiegel to, at our house to come over and, 
And I said, is there anything you don't like? And he said, I don't like curry. I said, okay, cool. And made this whole dinner, and I have this curry sauce that I make for vegetables. And he's chowing through his vegetables with the curry sauce on. I said, what is this? I said, it's a curry sauce. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, okay, anybody that can get meaty curry must know what the hell they're doing. And he, he paid to move the bakery, and, and that was what happened to River Mill. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great incubation, but we opened up. I was told that I would be bankrupt in three months. No one would come down there. I mean, uh, the, the junkyard was still down there, and uh, it was immediate success. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were doing two, two and a half turns at lunch and dinner six days a week. My wife and I were both working it. We had three young kids. My youngest daughter spent some time, a lot of time down there, and uh, I was 100 hours a week, and Laurie was 55. And that's why we, we were all there only for a year, because uh, we realized it wasn't a lifestyle for our family. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't. Really. Just too much. Yeah. So we sold and did very well in the sale because of the reputation and built at uh, uh, in the family home out in Collins Bay, Clark's by the Bay. That was the next restaurant. That was the next one, and uh, allowed us the ability to do that. I mean, the water line was a half-inch water line, and the septic was, let's say, not an improved septic system. And then we put in a football field of septic system in an inch and a half of water line, and presto bozo a little bit more. We were we were open as Clark's by the Bay. And then the next stop was Clark's on King. Correct. We did Clark's by the Bay for eight and a half years, and it was very successful. We I mean we did lots of recognition and awards, um, but it was tuxedo service, and it was getting a little stiff. And I wanted to re- relax a bit with everyone. So we just closed it, and we were front page of the Week Standard, which was funny, you know. And uh, eventually, the space came available for Clark's on King, and the front I was able to see, and the back, and Richard Sillis owned it at the time. So he and I were discussing, and I said, can I see the back part? And he said, sure. And this little imp- impish grin on his face, and we have to make an appointment because there's somebody in there at the moment. So we went in, and a big smile came across his face as scantily clad ladies opened the door and for me to discover that there is an escort service in Kingston, <laughs> or a massage parlor, I should say. And I was like, golly, like the folks on Gomer Pile. I was like, seriously? So anyway, that was, uh, we did that, and we opened up. And that was six years, and that went very well. Again, until I went for my stress test, and my blood pressure was 238 over 118 at a certain point. And it was just like... I got back to the restaurant, and uh, Kim Donovan had bought it, and he said, Clark, I need to redo all the, the mortar in the building. It's all falling out, so I'll work around you, or I'll buy you out of your lease. And I thought, well, this is serendipitous. Mm-hmm. So we, we sold, uh, well, you know, moved out, and, and that's when the Aqua people came a-calling, and and we had a little frank discussion. I said, look, i got a little blood pressure situation I better take care of, so I'm not going to buy or, or release, but I'll fix, you know. Yeah. And, uh, this is Aquaterra. Oh, this is Aquaterra. Yeah. And over the next 12 years, we uh, turned it into quite the, quite the going concern and, and did very well. But again, it was one of those things like, okay, now it's, now it's time to do something a little bit different. You know? Get back to my roots. So that's when we moved back to Baby Farm. And... Uh, 
did it did a small 30 seat but dinner only five days a week you know mm-hmm. and uh it, it was lovely i mean it was a great time but again it was uh, retirement was beckoning me and uh i sort of wanted to spend some time with uh with my grandkids and my children you get to that particular point where you know it's time yeah exactly it's, exactly you know, okay it, it was it was it was a great run we talked a little bit about the Bayview Farm and the fact that you established a restaurant in your home, essentially. Tell us a little bit about the history of that place. So I'm seven generations in the house. I mean, it was built by my great, 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 great grandfather, basically. And they came up from the United Emperor Lewis, came up from the States, and they were given a plots of land farther north. But I think they got up there and realized they didn't want to open a gravel pit. They wanted to try and farm it. Um, so they came back and they bought bought this mile, mile square. It's actually part of the legal description in the area uh, from Reverend Stewart. And um, they have, all three of those limestone houses are, are family homes at some point um, and still basically in the family. Uh, Bob Kennedy owns one and his, his ex-wife owns the other. And, uh, but this house was originally built in 1831, Ontario Classic, um, but my grandparents and great-grandparents, uh, had it as a lodge in the early 1900s. So it was Bayview, uh, it was, um, Loyalist Lodge, um, for about 20-some years. There was a dance hall across the road, right on the water, boathouse, but it was, um, it was funny because their, their business card said, all food served on our table grown on our farm, mm-hmm. which goes back right back to what everybody's target is nowadays to use as much local as possible. I'm looking at this particular uh, establishment uh, erected in 1831, I think you said it was. Yep. So at some point when you decided to recreate the restaurant there for Bayview Farm, I imagine you had to do some renos to uh, accommodate the restaurant. Well, most of it was already in place from Clarks by the Bay. Okay. Because the same, just a smaller portion of the, when we had Clarks by the Bay, it was the whole main floor of the house. We lived on the second and third floor. And, uh. How many seats when it was Clarks by the Bay? It was 65. Okay. So basically less than half. And we, we utilized, uh, the, the new addition, which is built in 1845. <laughs> And uh, it was, so the kitchen and everything was in place. So it was mostly cosmetics. Um, not, not a lot of, we had to do a, a couple of, change some bathrooms around. But uh, other than that, there wasn't a lot of, of uh, extra work. Mm-hmm. And I've never changed the footprint of the house, basically. I've, I've kept the walls where they are, and we've lived within the, the parameters of the house. So now that you've closed Bayview Farm Restaurant, you're still living in that house? Absolutely. They're going to take me out to feet first. <laughs> <laughs> when you, uh, I would imagine that over the course of the many years that you've been working in the kitchen, you have run into a lot of new people that you've trained. There's been a number of people over the years that we've worked with. Um, and Jack Francis was, was one of the fellows that worked with me for years at River Mill and Clarks by the Bay and Clarks on King. He's a great guy. I mean, just uh, he's uh, now has his own business as well, Jack the Happy Chef. And he's been doing catering now for quite a few years. And uh, uh, But uh, straight up, nice fellow that knows how to cook brilliantly. So, um, And then there's some younger people that I've worked with and some have been a good experience and some have been, you know, 
Not so good. A learning experience for mm. both of us. <laughs> when it comes to talking to people who are just starting out, what sorts of general bits of advice do you pass along? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> that uh, wasn't what you said before we started recording. <laughs> it's one of those businesses that it has to be a lifestyle. I mean, you, you really have to embrace it fully. It's not one where you can go in at, at 8 o'clock in the morning and leave at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and, and expect everything to go normal. You're, it's a constant state of, of uh, fixing and making sure everything is right and dealing with... Because basically you take the raw material and, and you process it to the point of, of the finished product. So there's a lot of steps involved and a lot of people involved. Some restaurants have a theme where they use a particular style of cooking. And I read somewhere where you are a fan of the business of amalgamating as many cultures as you can when you're putting together a menu. Fair well, that's always the yeah. That's always the big art, you know, art is fusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, people say, oh, fusion is wrong. You know, it should be Italian or it should be uh, Thai. Well, we're a country of fusion. I mean, that's who, who we are. We've amalgamated so many different styles and cultures. Uh, and food does work uh, by, by mixing it up a bit. And I've had a really great time. I love Mediterranean-style cuisine, and I love Asian. I love Thai. I love the complexity of, of, of the spices in Indian food. So, I mean, there's so many things that you, you know, can can work with and, and have fun. I mean, one of the dishes on the on the on the baby farm menu was a, a maple syrup and garam masala marinated duck breast with udon noodles and a coconut broth with lime leaf and lemongrass and galangal and and for people like oh that's a lot but it sold beautifully and people mm-hmm. were like wow you know so, who would have thought yeah yeah so it's one of those things that um, and yet there was other items that were very classic couple of quick questions I want to get in before we run out of time. Uh, what would you say would be your favorite go-to comfort food if you were cooking something? Hmm, interesting. Um, I'm, people always, sometimes ask me the question, what is your favorite meal? And I'll say the next one. Mm-hmm. Because it's always, uh, I very much I think when we talk about the, the idea of recipes not being particularly fond, I like to take really fresh product and make something with that. So if I have find a great Napa cabbage, if I find some amazing pork loin, if I find, you know, fresh Brussels sprouts or whatever, and adapt those to um, the meal. So I must admit, I think you'll hear a lot of chefs say the same thing, a really good hamburger makes my, my, my face smile. But being brought up in Switzerland, cheese fondue is one of my favorite go-tos, but not just bread. I mean, there's pear and apple and uh, we've dipped shrimp in there we've dripped ham in there you know so there's just about anything it's just about anything you want if it works with cheese you can put it on a, a fork and dip it in cheese um but i love asian i love indian um so just last night i did a, a chinese style it worked out quite well actually <laughs> and the funny thing was I, there's uh, folks up in uh, near near westport that make a maple vinegar Mm-hmm. Maple and it's brilliant. So it gives that sweetness without adding, you know, just white sugar, and gives a little bit of acidity to food. And it's like, 
Yeah, there's so much, and I think that the other part of the the passion is is finding your local suppliers. Right, it's really important for us to start supporting our local farmers. The market on Sunday at the Memorial Center, you know, is is all you have to be producing it or, or preparing. Um, there's the Enright Farms that's in Tweed that we bought from. There's the folks of the farmers, Patchwork Gardens and. Um, Brian Burt and his wife Ruth out at uh, uh, Burt's greenhouses that are you know, producing year-round. And then all the other small farms in Picton in the area, all the local wineries, all the local breweries. There's just so much that we can do, eat and drink. Mm-hmm. People will travel and <clears throat> go, oh, it was so fabulous. We were needling. We ate from, from the area. And, you know, well, and then they come back and they buy at Loblaws. Like, seriously? Now that you are retired... What do you do to occupy your time now? Well, there's been not much time so far. I mean, I I immediately got, my son and I went to uh, France and Italy. It was a great gift from him that uh, we, we flew into Paris and then from Paris to Venice. So quite amazingly, we were out of there by January 28th, just, just before everything really mm-hmm. got started. Um, and then while I was over there, I got a call to see if I want to do some consulting at a university in London, Ontario. <clears throat> and it was just to sort of make the, the, the good program they had in place already even better mm-hmm. and come up with some interesting ideas. And, and so uh, who knows what the next phone call may or may not be, but they're always kind of interesting. But with the old house, we still have 15 acres and you know, spring is coming. So... I know there'll be a few chores that my wife has ready for me. And, uh, <laughs> we just sort of the uh, list is ready. Yeah. We'll, you know, it's it's a big property, and uh, we'll we'll so we've got a hundred trees coming. We're very big on planting trees every year, mm-hmm. so we're going to make sure we plant some more trees. That'd be good. We have run out of time on the program, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. And I thank you for taking the time to come in. Well, Dave, thanks thanks for having me. It's been a riot. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Jim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.